So here is the quote from Dune. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. <laughs> I was thinking that could be a good thing for Theo to say to himself when he has to pick his outfit every day. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fire the Cannon. This is the podcast where we read the stories in the West, where we read the stories in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. He's never heard it before. Give him a minute. <laughs> yeah, it is. And tell him our new tagline. And it's so fun, you won't even realize you're learning. Mm hmm. Wow. I got it. Well, let me introduce you to your hosts. Here's <laughs> Rachel, goes by the Roach. Tell him, hey. Hey, it's me, the roach. Here's Jack. He goes by Jacko. Tell him, hey. Hey. And then I'm the producer. And he goes by... Theo. Um, and then we have a special guest for today. For no reason. Yeah, we, we're, we're doing Dune, and so we found the greatest Dune expert we could. <laughs> Here he goes. It's... Frank Herbert himself. No, it's Steve. It's Steven. Sorry, just kidding. It's Steven. It's just Steven. I just want to clear something up. I am not by no means a Dune expert. Dune spurt. Yeah, you're a Dune spurt. And he's also been into the gummy stash, apparently, so... Just totally regular gummies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, now it sounds like they're not just regular gummies. The weird thing is that they are totally regular gummies, but now it sounds like you doth protest too much. Yeah, he does doth. I protest the normal amount. Listen, my sister was house-sitting for us, and she and her boyfriend went to the movies, and she asked if I had a huge purse they could use to sneak in snacks, and I did. So then when we got back, I went to get my huge purse, and it was filled to the brim with gummies, like seven bags of gummies, because she said she doesn't really eat gummies, but her boyfriend does, and he wanted to have a wide variety. So now we have, like... Seven bags of mostly uneaten gummies. And That's I don't eat awesome. the gummies because they have gelatin in them. So um, correction. We have one bag of gummies. Oh, gosh. But okay. Steven has six on his person. Well, and by on, I mean within. Yes, I have six bags of gummies within. Coursing through his veins as we speak. Six dime bags of gummies. In fact, Steven is yeah. mostly just gummies at this point. I'm a special guest slash gummy person. I'm like Gumby. I can just... Yeah. Limbs everywhere. Yeah. You flatten me out with a steamroller and I'll pop right back. And Rachel's your pokey. Were they dating? Oh, pokey and Gumby were for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> How do you think pokey got his name? Yeah, they're getting a little action on the side. Wait, was it seven bags worth of gummies dumped carelessly into your purse or was it seven bags? <laughs> <laughs> no, just regular, like, they were in their, their bags that they came No, in. just directly into the purse. They're all mixed up. I actually do prefer a, <laughs> one bag of mixed gummies. Like, I like to go to a candy shop and just, you know, scoop different scoops of gummies in and mix them all together and eat She's them that insane. way. She's insane. Stop her. No, it's a good way to do it. This is madness. Taking that diversity initiative a little too far, I think, there, Rachel. <laughs> Virtue signaling. <laughs> yeah, when you have to write your next diversity statement, just say, like, I put multiple kinds of gummies into one bag. <laughs> I mix all my gummies together, so I know a little thing or two about diversity. What is this, the token peach ring in your bag? Oh, <laughs> the peach ring. Who wants that? Are you fucking kidding me? Steven loves so peach good. rings. Have you ever had the green apple rings? They're rare, but they're Those aren't amazing. peach rings. I know, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the peach rings are so good. Have you ever had the kind that's not peach? <laughs> I thought 
that we were all into the ring. I, well, I have a food aversion to them because one time when I was a little kid, I had them and I had a migraine and yeah, it, it yeah, can't. Yeah, I, the thought of them makes you're me no feel fun, sick. You're no fun. You're no fun. All right. Let's I had on. a traumatic experience. <laughs> yeah, well, trauma ain't fun. Yeah, everyone hates that. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Theo, do you want to move anything from the background of your video? I don't know what you're talking about. It's the big ass dildo <laughs> on the back of the wall. Just move it. God, this children watch this. <laughs> you literally turned it around so the label was facing the camera. Like, it was facing away earlier. He saying, I hope Stephen doesn't see this thing of athlete's foot treatment. And then he, like, shoves it a little closer <laughs> to the camera. Turns it around, points it. Yeah. It's a cry for help. Mm -hmm. Please help me with my athlete's foot. Buy me more Desinex. Mm -hmm. So we decided that we were going to talk about a pillar of science fiction this week. I think you guys all know what it is. It's Dune, 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 Dune. It's Dune, Dune, Dune <laughs> by Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert. So we're talking about it because as we probably all know, as okay, as the four of us definitely all know, there is a new movie coming out at the end of this month. <laughs> For which we're not doing a watch party. That would be illegal. We're planning on doing a watch party for the 1980s version by David Lynch. <laughs> that freak. That Canadian freak. And we're going to compare and contrast that on a later episode. Okay. So let me, audience, let me explain what we're planning to do. We're going to be doing three Dune episodes, but we're doing it a little bit differently than usual. On this episode, we are going to cover the entire 800 pages of the book Dune. We're going to explain everything you need to know about what goes on in the book and who these weird people are and why they're always poking each other with poison and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's this episode. I've had multiple people ask me, is Dune, like they've seen me reading it and they've said, hey, is that worth reading? And I say, listen to our podcast. So that's what you're going to find out <laughs> over the course of this episode. Wow. Then so we're doing a second episode with our friend and patron, Jack Morgan, Jack, all the way Jack, from Jack, Jack, Down Jack, Under. Jack, Jack. And we're going to be analyzing the book. So if you're here for the hard hitting stuff, if you want to hear us talking about the weird Orientalism in the narrative, like how Frank Herbert treats women, that sort of thing, then come back and listen to that episode. And then for the final episode, we are going to be watching and comparing the 1980s version of the movie and the one from this year and talking about how it relates to the book. And we will be having as a special guest yet again, Timothy Chalamet, Jess Owens, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. I'd love to have that little guy on yet again. <laughs> he, he's always trying to get on this freaking pod. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, fine, Timmy. I guess this one's God, appropriate. He just won't leave us alone. We're having yeah. Jess Owens back on. She's the booktuber that we talked to earlier. We had a great time with her. If you guys are interested, check out our Facebook group because we will be hosting yeah. a Zoom watch party with Jess Owens to watch the 1980s version of Dune at the end of October. That is going to be literally so much fun. I was excited to do it before, but then when Jess said that she would join us for that, it's going to be Yeah, so it's going to be really fun. What is a watch party? We're going to host a Zoom room. We'll give you guys the link. If you want to join, you can. If one person has a subscription to HBO, Netflix, whatever, they can host the party and play the movie on their screen, which you will see. So that's why we're having a watch party. It's because none of us have we HBO. We do. So we need someone who <laughs> Thanks, has Tim. it to join. I'm just yeah. So if any listeners have HBO, we would really appreciate <laughs> no, it. No, no, seriously. We already have HBO. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, but there's going to be a chat function. So everyone who's watching gets to chat with each other and say like oh kyle's looking pretty good or like i hate this movie whatever theo said that he watched 10 minutes of the movie and turned it off in disgust so let's find out what caused that you didn't even get to see sting wait who does sting play who does sting look like 
What? Sting. What does that mean? He looks a lot like the singer of the police. I can picture that. Wait, okay. This time I actually do kind of like our Zoom names, so I want to have us say what our Zoom names are. This is the first ah. time? Yeah, because they're never puns normally. Now they're puns. They really are. And Thea is very proud of himself because he, of course, didn't read the book, but he did come up with a pretty great name. So we mashed up our names with uh, characters and or concepts from the book. I'm going to save mine for last because mine is obviously the best. Obviously. All right, hit it, Thea. Or should I say... Theophir. Yeah, so my name is Theophir Hawat, I guess. You were like, I want to start off by saying my name, and then you're like, oh, I don't know. Well, you kind of spoiled it. <laughs> yeah, you really did. I was trying to give you an in. Okay, fine. Let's do it a different way. Here, d- erase, like, don't include Jackie spoiling it. Back up. No, I want her to live with this. <laughs> moving on. Jackie, or no, who's next? Steven? Oh, are you talking to me? Uh, I'm sorry, I only respond to Arrakis Steve. <laughs> <laughs> So that's just the name of the planet with Steve on the end. <laughs> just added a Teeve, yeah. I mean, it sounds a little bit like your Pokemon evolved form of you. Yeah. Steven and then Arachna Steve. <laughs> or it would probably be like Arachna Steve or something. It's because I was eating so much rare candy. <gasps> the gummies. How did he do it? Anyway, I'm your host, Benny Jackeret. Benny Jackeret. I don't think it's Benny, is it? It is. Benny Jackeret, then. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Rachel. (laughs) And I'm the Quisatz Hatterach. Welcome to the pod. We finally made it. put an L on the end. It's Quisatz Hatterachel. It's better to be Quisatz Hatterach. I removed the L. You're correct. Okay. Those don't make any sense to you right now, but it'll make sense soon. Don't worry. All right. Should we jump into the plot? Well, no. Actually, before we jump into the plot, I would like to kind of give a background on the political situation of the book and quickly sketch out the characters who are going to be important so we don't have to pause in the middle of the plot and be like, this person is this, blah, blah, blah. So let me do that real quick. So the political situation, it's basically a triangle. You have the emperor, who the Padishah emperor, who's obviously, he's the emperor, he's powerful. You have the Lansrot, which is like the head's of all the different noble houses have a council. So they also have some power. And then you have the Space Guild, and those are the three legs, essentially. So the Space Guild, they are the ones who have the monopoly on transporting anything in space. And with, like, since this is a universal government, that's obviously very important. They're extremely secretive. Nobody knows what they look like. They might not even be humans anymore. And if you make them mad, you can be... 100% cut off. They will no longer import or export things from your planet. They won't let you go on their ships and go somewhere else. So while some people have like smaller ships that can go between planets, if you're trying to ship any like items for sale, if you're trying to move to another planet, you would have to go through the guild. So they're very powerful, but we never actually see them. Yeah, but it's no big deal because as we know, trade wars are Very simple and easy to win all the time. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Been there. So you really never see anyone from the guild in the entire book. Correct. No, in fact, I told Rachel when, you know, we were kind of catching up about this before the recording. I said, "Uh, you know, I finished Dune. I think there's a few things I didn't quite understand. For one thing, I don't really get what the guild is. I mean, I understand that you pay them and they transport things. And she was like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's all there is to get. I was like, okay, well, I guess I did understand everything. Mm. Yeah, she got that. (laughs) And that was the only thing. (laughs) So the other thing is, there is a sort of scientific slash spiritual organization called the Bene Gesserit. And they are women. All of them are women. And they have a weird eugenics, like thousand year long breeding program that they've been trying to accomplish. 90 generations. Yeah, to create 
a man who they call the Kwisatz Haderach, and he is the one man who can do woman stuff and man stuff, and women can only do women it's stuff. like you say, you know, every time you see a good man, behind him is 90 generations of astounding witch women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I have some problems with that. <laughs> They're supposed to be, like, simultaneously, like, very alluring, but also aloof, and they're kind of planted in high places, like the concubines or wives of various noblemen. They're sent out to different planets, like thousands of years in the past. They'll go to a planet to, like, start legends about the Bene Gesserit so that if any of them go there in the future, the people who are there will be like, oh, you're one of those women. We've been waiting for you. That yeah. kind of thing. Ooh. They also have powers. Yeah, they do have special powers. There are also, there's a group of, I don't know if they're just men. All, the only ones we see are men, but maybe women do it too, who are called mentots. And they're like extremely logical, basically computer people. Mm. But they're able to analyze everything and say like, oh, this is what we need to do. And they, they're like the strategists for different nobles. Think about Thrio. Yeah, consider 3O. 3O. It's an organization yeah. of 3Os. <laughs> consider the 3O. Ah, it's been too long. <laughs> I would love to consider 3O. Wait, but that's so that's an organization. Do they have a certain side that they're on or something like that? Or are they just dispersed? Nope, they no. work for anyone. Okay. They they're get kind trained. of just like a class of people also. Okay. It's a job. You have to be trained. Like only some people have the potential to be a mentat. And then you have to get the special training. And then if you do, you're everyone's like, love to hire you. So there aren't that many of them. I'm sure they get paid really well mm -hmm. and they work for like the emperor a duke a count whatever mm -hmm. i love them. you love them pretty much all of these things you have to have some type of like blood origin but then you also get training on top of that so well the mentat thing they don't say anything about it being genetic like there's not no, genetic but like you said i think like you are born not just it. anybody can do it yeah maybe she's born with it mm -hmm. maybe it's mentat training mm -hmm. yeah maybe she's born with it maybe it's 90 generations of eugenics who knows still born with it yeah, still <laughs> so then there's also also something called spice. <laughs> oh, wait, before you move on to spice, could I ask a question about why you, you said like the idea behind the Kwisatz Haderach is that uh, they can do the men's stuff and the women's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> why couldn't they just one of them just like learn to do the men's stuff? Because is it that hard? It's, it's very gender essentialist. <laughs> and it took like a long time, which we'll get into it a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, if you're a reasonable person reading this, you do wonder, like, why couldn't they just learn some men stuff? But according to them, they can't. It has to be a man. It also has something to do with, like, control of, like, time and seeing the future and understanding all of the different possible paths that are coming. Yeah. And apparently, like, the one that can really do that is the man who the has dude. the training of the woman. Very traditional men's roles in, in society. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Men are always controlling the future. So you're telling me that if you breed a man with a woman <laughs> like over successive generations, the man will become more and more like a woman. Typically how it works. Eventually you get a baby. Cynthia, <laughs> when, when a man loves a woman very much. For 90 generations in a row. Wait, yeah, you're going to have to back up for me. I, I haven't learned this yet. I know. Heterosexuality. What a wild ride. That's how it is. <laughs> so there's also something called spice or melange, which is a drug that you can't create. You have to mine it and you can only mine it on the desert planet Arrakis. Really? Yes. It's kind of like saffron, but if saffron had like crazy powers, it's super valuable. It like heightens your senses. And if you 
ingest a lot of it, your eyes turn totally blue. Like there's no whites, there's no irises, it's all blue. Are they running out of it at this point in the book or is it just like some people have control of it? No, we're going to talk a lot about- It more keeps being created. The planet makes it. It's like a natural resource, but it's hard to get and it's it's very valuable. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's also addictive and- Oh, spice is a big deal. It is a big deal. Melange sounds like what happens when you eat too much and it's kind of hot and you just want to take like a a long nap. A little nappy nap. Yeah. A melange. I'm feeling feeling pretty melange. (laughs) So there's also some weird stuff going on with religion. Their holy book is called the Orange Catholic Bible, which is an amalgamation of every single religion there ever was all put into one book. And the main message from that book is, thou shalt not disfigure the soul. And they occasionally will quote the book. So then the other thing is they discuss a historic event called the Butlerian Jihad. Mm -hmm. The lesson from that is man may not be replaced. And essentially, you're not allowed to have computers anymore. Ah. It seems like there was some sort of problem with computers. And so they were all destroyed, which is where the Mentats come from is like, we don't have computers anymore. So we have these guys (laughs) who can do computer stuff. It was Y2K. So they're, they're, in a sense, they are like Luddites. Well, they have crazy technology, but no artificial intelligence. That's very bad. I'm curious, how is that like introduced over the course of the book? Um, You're kind of just steeped in it, right, Rachel? So, I mean, he doesn't explain. Okay. Like he just says stuff and then you kind of like learn over the course as the story develops. Like he'll just use words and then like you kind of like start to understand what the words mean based on their context. Okay. The problem is Apparently, when it was first published, there was nothing at the back. There was no glossary to explain things. But when it's published now, there's literally like 200 pages of glossary. <laughs> which I didn't look which... at at all, by the way. I didn't use. I just didn't have time. I was like, I'm just going to get through this like the the OG way. And, yeah. you know, I think it was an interesting experience. Um, I was definitely a little confused, but, you know. He really does throw you in head first. And, yeah. and some of it I think is successful. Some of it I think is very much not. Yeah. But that's... That's, that's how it is. The important characters we need to know, for the first part of the book at least, the main character is named Paul Atreides, and when the book opens, he is 15 years old, and it's established that he's just a weirdo who has no kid friends and never has. Just adults. Mm. And his parents are named Leto and Jessica, and his father is a duke, and his mother is a Bene Gesserit concubine. His father doesn't have a wife— He only has the Lady Jessica, and that's how it is. And Paul is his, like, legal heir. They all live on a planet named Caladan, which is, like, just a regular old planet with water and everything. Yeah, and the Duke is kind of like one of those K-pop band boys where he can't marry (laughs) Lady Jessica because he needs to have it be, like, plausible deniability that he might still be, like, open and willing to marry someone else of royal blood. But he's very much in love with her. Oh, they're in love? love. Oh, yes, very much. They're in love. They've got a great relationship-ish. It's kind of complicated. We'll go into that a little more, but uh, anyway. Then his employees are the people who are... Paul's friends, basically. So we have Thufir Hawat, who is Duke Atreides' mentat, and he has trained Paul a little bit in his ways. 
We have Gurney Halleck, who is the weapons master, who has helped train Paul in fighting. And they do this kind of thing called shield fighting. So, like, on their arms, they have this device that projects up a force shield, and you use those for, like, attack and defense. He also is kind of a musician and poet, and he is always quoting little things and singing songs. Jackie loves him, apparently. (laughs) We have Dr. Wellington Yue, who is a doctor but also just like knows a lot of stuff he's just full of facts he's like a human encyclopedia and then finally we have duncan idaho Woohoo! <laughs> everyone's favorite bro what the hell kind of name why do you throw in I duncan know. idaho when everybody I else know. is god i'm so annoyed already <laughs> leto atrides and duncan idaho <laughs> is he from earth <laughs> no, i don't think there's an earth it does sound like the name an alien would pick if it was trying to like fit into america <laughs> society. <laughs> well, I'm Duncan Idaho. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry know. to anybody named Duncan out there. Duncan's a perfectly fine name, but it does. It's just a little bit funny. Then you put Idaho on the end. <laughs> so then an unaffiliated character is the Reverend Mother Mohiam, who is uh, like a leader in the Bene Gesserit. And she trained the Lady Jessica when she was a girl. She's an old witch. Cool. Now for the bad guys. There's only a few. We have the Baron Harkonnen, who is like the mortal enemy of Duke Atreides. We have the Baron's Mentat, who is Peter DeVries, who is addicted to spice. And that's why he, like, works for him, I guess, and would never betray him. And the Baron has a nephew who he likes named Fade Routha, who he wants to succeed him. And then he has a nephew who he hates named Robin. This is kind of reminded me of, like, Heathcliff and, like, the whole um, yeah. <laughs> Hindley and Linton. Yeah, it's like, all right, this one I hate and I'm going to install him in a position of power. And then this one I don't hate and we're going to, like, pit them against each other. So Dune is divided into three books. And I'm going to do books one and three. Jackie's going to take point on book two. One thing I wanted to say before we get started is that a lot of the names and terms are borrowed from Arabic and some other languages. And so I'm trying to pronounce things the way that Frank Herbert pronounced them, which we have multiple audio recordings of how he wanted them to be pronounced. But the words taken from Arabic, he mispronounced them or like anglicized them or whatever. So yeah, I'm not going to be weird. super duper strict about how to say them because... It doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll do my best to try to pronounce things the way he wanted. Yeah. This is not like us thinking, this is how Arabic words are pronounced. <laughs> this is Frank Herbert's weird bastardization. Exactly. Mm. So here we go. So I'm going to start with discussing the plot of book one. If any of you, Stephen or Theo, have questions, just jump on in there. Or Jackie, even, if you've got a question. <laughs> so when book one opens, we find out that the emperor has decided to grant the planet Arrakis to the Atreides family, which seems like that should be a good thing. But no, it's a terrible thing. A very terrible thing. <laughs> so we meet the reverend mother of the Bene Gesserit. She's talking to the Lady Jessica. We find out that the Duke, Duke Leto, is going to die very, very soon after they get to Arrakis. And now that he's accepted the like governorship of the planet, there's nothing that he can do to stop it. He's definitely going to be killed. Why do the, the seers always have to spoil everything? Just let it play out. That's their thing. <laughs> That's the definition. <laughs> Why are the garbage men always got to take Nobody the garbage? Nobody wanted that. <laughs> Nobody wanted that. Well, then they should at least make their job title spoiler instead of... 
see her. What's the point of, like, finding out this information? She warned him, if you agree to do this, then you're gonna die. And he was like, well, I'm still gonna do it. Mm. (laughs) So he had his chance. Anyway, Paul is woken up by his mother who says, hey, we, you need to go talk to the Reverend Mother. We're gonna do something. And we kind of learn through background information that Jessica's part of eugenics plan and she had messed it up because she was supposed to have a girl, but she purposefully had a boy because her husband wanted one. This is never explained how this happens. Like, it's just apparently you can choose what you're going to have. I'm assuming if they get pregnant with a boy, they cause an abortion somehow. They're able to do all kinds of things. I I took it more like they're able to decide what they're going to conceive, but... You, you never find I out. mean, but it's up to the sperm, right? Uh, not on this know. planet. Like, I don't know. The Benny okay. Jester can do whatever they want. <laughs> sperm rights. Okay. Mm. So also, Jessica thinks she's telling the woman, I think my son could be the Kwisatz Haderach. And the woman's like, no way. It's too early. He couldn't be that. Like, it, we need more generations. But Jessica's like, no, I really think so. Yeah, we know it's supposed to be the male son of a of a Benny Jesserit, And here we have one. And you weren't supposed to have it. But I mean, any of them could have boys. They just purposefully have girls she chose to have a boy when she could have had a girl so anyway so she kind of messed up their plans we also learned that i'm kind of not doing this 100 percent in order but i will cover everything so we kind of learned that paul also is having these clairvoyant dreams and he has a dream that he's on a desert planet and there's a girl whose eyes are totally blue and she's calling him usul and he's like i don't even know what that means but the Reverend Mother is like, oh my gosh, he's seeing the future. This happens pretty pretty quickly. Like, they keep having these little signs that he is this Kwisatz Haderach or that he's special in some way. They keep ignoring them. Like, eh, yeah, he is clairvoyant. And yeah, he is seeing the future. And he is, like, <laughs> understanding things about another planet he's never seen before. But it can't be him. So the Reverend Mother kicks Jessica out of the room and says, basically, I'm going to do a plan to test if your son is an animal or a human. Hmm. And the plan is there is a box Mm -hmm. and he has to put his hand in the box and she is holding a deadly poison on a needle and it's called the ganja bar. And all these Benny Jessards use it. But so she's holding the poison against his neck and she tells him only animals think that what they perceive is reality So you have to put your hand in this box and you're going to feel really, really horrible pain, like the worst thing you've ever felt. And you have to keep your hand in the box. If you take your hand out of the box, I'm going to kill you because you're just an animal. What? Yes. You don't have to kill an animal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, pain exists for a reason. If you don't have pain, you don't live very long. Take your hand out of the box. Well, in this case, it doesn't because he realizes, so he's got his hand in the box and it feels like basically like his skin is being flayed off and it's on fire and it's melting and everything. And so finally, when she's like, she says basically like, I should have let you take your hand out already, but because you're a boy, I made you keep it in longer. So good job. You can take it out now. So he takes it out and he expects his hand to be like a skeleton, but it's totally fine. And she says, yeah, the box just messes with your pain receptors. It's not really happening. Hmm. So he survives. Later, Paul talks to his dad and the Duke says, look, I know that there's a trap on the planet. I already know that they think I'm going to die. I know that Baron Harkonnen, who used to be the one who had control of the planet, he has been stockpiling spice for years and he plans to fuck with the supply lines so that everyone blames the Atreides 
and the emperor can act against us and everyone will be fine with it because the other, like the Lansrot people, they'll be fine with it because they care more about their own profits than they care about, you know, the emperor attacking one of their own. There's a lot of people trying to stay one step ahead of everybody else's devious plans. Mm. There's a ton of plans. Yeah, there's so many plans (laughs) and we learn what they all are. Leto tells him, look, the emperor has this insanely powerful troop of soldiers called the Sardaukar, and he claims they're powerful because of their training, but my suspicion is that it's because they come from this, like, they're born and raised on this truly horrible planet, and the conditions are so bad that they become great fighters. Well, guess what other planet is terrible? That's right, (laughs) the planet that we're about to move to. (laughs) So I think the people who live there in the desert are just as good fighters. So we want to ally with them. And the people who live out in the desert are called the Fremen. Okay. And it's obviously, you know, a word that's formed out of free men, but yeah, it's pronounced Fremen. So he's like, I'm going to ally with the Fremen. I thought it was friend and women. Friend, like me and Jackie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or Theos Fremen. (laughs) Okay, so he says, I want to ally with them, and then I know that the Baron is going to disguise the Emperor's soldiers as his own, but we'll be able to fight them off, and we'll all be great. They end up moving to Dune. He says something like, I sent Duncan Idaho ahead to become friends with the Fremen, so we'll meet Duncan up with Duncan Idaho. There. I think we need a Everyone's little stinger for him. Yeah. Is Duncan Idaho charming? Apparently. He's the most charming guy they've got. <laughs> Wait, did you explain that Dune and Arrakis are the same thing? Yeah, Dune is just a nickname for Arrakis because it's a desert planet. Whatever. Okay, I'd like to call it Dune from okay. now on. Okay, we'll call it Dune, I guess. And can we call the book Arrakis? God damn yeah, it. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> what do you want to call Frank Herbert? Duncan Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they move to the new planet, and Jessica is being introduced to like their new housekeeper, which her name is like Mapes, the Shadout Mapes, which means like water finder, which is very important because water is so hard to find on the planet. So the woman, it turns out, she's like testing Jessica, and Jessica thinks. Oh, luckily, thousands of years ago, the Bene Gesserit, using their Missionaria Protectiva, sent a person to this planet to seed all these myths that would help a Bene Gesserit in the future. So there are like stories that one of them will show up and she'll be the mother of the Kwisatz Haderach and blah, blah, blah. So because Jessica is aware of this and she knows which myths they put on the planet, she kind of knows what to respond to the woman so that she'll pass the test. And the woman offers her this like amazing knife called a Chris knife. And it has like poison on the blade. And then on the edge, it has this coagulation agent because, you know, blood and water are so valuable on the planet. So like if you cut someone with it, it coagulates really quickly. So she gets this wonderful knife. It seems like everybody, almost everybody, is, like, really good at playing the long con. Like, everybody's playing the, like, many generations ahead in the future game. Hmm. Everybody's in it for the long haul. This book is kind of the culmination of a very long time of planning for a lot of different people and groups. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) I wish people could be more like that now. (laughs) I mean, and we're going to talk about this later, but, I mean, a lot of what they're trying to do, or some of these groups are trying to do, is, like, make uninhabitable planets habitable or, like, inhospitable planets hospitable Mm -hmm. to human life. And they're just like, yeah, this isn't going to happen in my lifetime or my kids or my kids' kids or my kids' kids' kids, but, you know, someone will benefit one day. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, we find out that Duke Atreides' employee, Dr. Yue, we find out that Dr. Yue is a traitor. 
because he had a Bene Gesserit wife that he really loved and the Harkonnens kidnapped her and she's probably dead. But even so, they're using it as pressure against him. So he has had this training that is supposed to make him like totally unable to be, you know, used against his employer. It's called imperial conditioning. And if you go through imperial conditioning, you get like a diamond tattoo on your forehead. And so the reason the Duke hired him and trusts him is because it was previously thought that there's no way to get these people to betray their employer. But somehow Baron Harkonnen was able to figure out how to do it. And it was as simple as threaten his loved one, which that seems like the first thing that you would do. Like, why is that so Anytime. crazy? <laughs> right. Also, every single time that Dr. Yue comes into the book, Frank Herbert describes him as having purple lips and a droopy mustache. Yeah, we're going to talk about him later. I don't like that the one Asian guy is like a slimy traitor. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, like, it's funny that he describes everybody the exact same way every time they come in. Yeah. And he's not the only one that gets that. But it's the purple <laughs> lips. It is funny. Do you think it's because the names are kind of hard to remember? I don't think they're hard to remember. They're all pretty <laughs> it's unique. Like, oh, it's the purple lip man. Yeah. Maybe. Seems like you should have just called him Dr. Purple Lips. <laughs> Dr. Purple Lips. <laughs> That's the worst soda I've ever tasted. Don't want that. You wouldn't believe what it does to your lips. <laughs> well, you would. It turns them purple. Yeah. Or like Dr. Uh, not not Dr. Uh, Gurney Halleck, the weapons master poet guy. Every time he comes in, it's like that lumpy, ugly man. <laughs> That's what it says. Sorry, Theo. Yeah, Theo would not like the narrator of this book. They would not get along. Mm-hmm. So mean. So mean. Yeah, so Yue, like, felt really guilty about it. The other thing that's pretty funny is that at the opening of every single chapter, there is an excerpt from a book, and it's multiple different books, but all of them are by the Princess Irulan, who we don't meet until, like, the very, very end of the book. Yeah. But there, and every single book is about Paul and how great he is. There's, like, the children's history of Paul and, like, the encyclopedia of what Paul got up to and all this other stuff. So it's just someone who wrote multiple books about how great Paul is. Mm. Yeah, and I kept waiting, like, when are we going to meet Princess Irulan? When are we going to meet her? And then it's, like, yeah. the third from last page out of like 800. We'll talk about that later, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, the way Princess Irulan talks about Dr. Yue, it's like he was a horrible traitor and like the whole galaxy curses his name and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's not that bad. Like he was doing something to help his wife. Like who fucking cares if he went against his employer? It's not that big of a deal. Also, that was something funny. That was in the children's history. Um, and it starts out, a thousand deaths, a thousand deaths are not enough for Dr. Yue. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's a wonderful rhyme for yeah. children to say. Yeah. <laughs> a little jump rope thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many deaths for Dr. Yue? <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> exactly. So the interesting thing about the narrative is that, that, is that it, like, goes back and in, into various people's perspectives. It just kind of jumps into different people's heads over and over again. When we're introduced to the Baron, we learn, like, oh, yeah, his plan is exactly the same as Duke Atreides thought it was. So I don't really want to talk about it too much. But the funny thing is that when we meet him, the first thing we hear him say is, there it is, Peter, the biggest man trap in all history, and the Duke's headed into its jaws. Is it not a magnificent thing that I, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, do? <laughs> this is what I'm saying, like, 
Herbert is not that great at introducing things. He literally has a character say, like, look what I blah, blah, blah did. <laughs> right. Well, it, I mean, it's weird for obvious reasons, but it's also weird because it seems like the kind of thing like a novice filmmaker would do. If you're seeing the person and you don't have a way of introducing who they are, you would just have them like verbally state their name. But like, why would you do that in a book? Oh, yeah. Because the narrator can just say. And and he did person. many times. Like, isn't this a great thing I did? Said the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Hmm. <laughs> right. Why would you need to have him say his own name it's, and it's also like he doesn't do that throughout the narrative so it's not explaining that he's super self-absorbed or something you know huh. and oh the other thing that we find out is that he is he's absurdly obese like he uses anti-gravity belts around his legs and arms and waist mm. and like that's the only way he's able to stay up and he just wants to eat all the time which the thing i really don't like about that is that literally everyone else is like slim or muscular or athletic or whatever but this one dude is fat and he's just like so fat and it's horrible it's because he's evil yeah we'll talk about it more with jack morgan but that's what you need to know about him i do like that you can use anti-gravity stuff yeah, yeah. i mean that is <laughs> pretty, pretty nice good. right um he's also i mean I, are you gonna say this later he's also a weird pedophile yeah i was gonna say that later Aww. <laughs> yeah sorry theo basically their first night on the planet paul survives an assassination attempt his father is having trouble because the spice miners have the opportunity when there's a regime change their contract ends and they're allowed to leave the planet so he's trying to convince them to stay because they're the ones who know how to get the spice and he's trying to, you know, prevent any interruption of the supply line. So he wants to both keep them on the planet and he wants to raid Baron Harkonnen's supply of spice that he's st been stockpiling. We find out that Duncan Idaho, everyone's fave, has won the respect of the Fremen leader Stilgar and they want him to join them. And for some reason, he's like, can I do it, boss? And his boss is like, yeah, my best fighter. Sure, you can go live in a cave with these people for a while. That'll be great. We won't need you, surely. Uh-oh. Doesn't he want him to, like, form an alliance with them? I mean, he does, but, like, they already had an alliance. He could just be like, just give me one second. Someone's about to try to kill me. Can you just wait till he <laughs> foils that assassination attempt? Mm. Well, he's already been told there's nothing he can do about it, so I don't know why he even bothers. <laughs> he doesn't think that's true, though. Like, he thinks there's <laughs> something he can do about it. <laughs> well, Duncan, you go ahead. I'm I'm set on the track that I'm set yeah, on. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> they also find out there's, like, a secret, mysterious leader of the Fremen named Liette. So there we go. So moving forward, the Baron has decided that he's going to try to frame Jessica and say, like, yeah, there is a traitor, but she's the traitor and not Dr. Yue. So he, like, arranges for this note to be found, and Thufir Hoa and Duncan Idaho find it. And the Duke doesn't believe that she's betraying him, but he knows that he needs his enemies to think that he believes it. So he lets all his best friends and employees believe that he thinks she's betraying him, too. But he takes his son, Paul, aside and says... Hey, just so you know, um, if I die, I want you to tell your mom I never thought this was true for a second. Right. Which I'm like, uh... Tell your wife. I mean, your concubine. Yeah, that whatever. seems a little bit... Right. She's a freaking Benny Jesseret. Like, she has these mystical powers. She's an amazing actress. You can tell her that you know she's not betraying you. Like, she won't give it away. <laughs> right, not your 15-year-old son. And even Paul says, like, why are you telling me this, Dad? Like, what if I just ruined your plan and told Mom? And he was like, you're not going to do that. Tell your freaking beloved... <laughs> 
beloved that you know she's not betraying you, you weirdo. Like, I don't, that part really doesn't make sense to me. Like, there should be no secrets between a man and his concubine, don't you think? Especially when she is (laughs) literally a magically good actress. (laughs) No one would know. Also, I just feel like it's kind of a cop-out to say, like, after the fact, like, after she's, like, you know, gone through the, the... trauma of thinking that her husband suspected her and he's dead and everything like after all of that tell her oh actually he never suspected you for a second yeah so don't worry he knew you were on the up and up (laughs) oh well that makes me feel better (laughs) all right so anyway they're interacting more and more with the fremen and they have started calling paul the mahdi which means one who will lead us to paradise oh i had no idea that was how you pronounce that I i was calling it muadib um, that's a different word, and that is pronounced muadib. <laughs> no, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> I, I truly thought you were saying that's the same thing. How embarrassing. Wow. Yeah, M-A-H-D-I. Oh, my God. He, he get, Theo, you'll enjoy this. Paul gets maybe five nicknames throughout the book. I don't think he is going to enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, if you hear a word and you're like, what? Who is this person? It's probably Paul, honestly. Okay. <laughs> maybe we should just call him Paul. <laughs> I mean, we can call him Paul, but every time he acquires a new title, I'm going to have to say something about it. Sure. So the Atreides meet with this famous planetary ecologist named Kynes, who tells them like, hey, I was supposed to betray you, but I actually think you're both really cool. So I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah, he like rides with them in a in a little, they call it an ornithopter or a thopter. So he rides with them in one of those things. And he's just like, this dude's like really good at flying this. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah. And then he likes. The Duke saves some people from a sandworm, which we're going to get into that kind of stuff. But basically, he saves some of the the people working on the planet. And he's like, he can fly and he's nice. Okay. Treason plans abandoned. Maybe I won't yeah. betray him. <laughs> yes. He takes them to a spice mine. And one of the main things people know about this book is there are giant sandworms, like truly massive sandworms, which I feel like Theo would like. They're monsters. They're big monster boys. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, obviously. So when the worms attack them at the mine, he, uh, Leto, abandons the spice to save the people. And that's what Kynes is like, nice. There's all the time these private thoughts of different characters in the book. And every time like the Duke or Paul or somebody does something that's a good leadership decision, they always think to themselves, my God, nice. how did he become such a good leader? What a decision. <laughs> a person like that could be followed forever. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Why do the sandworms attack them? They're just hungry? We'll get into that later. Or aggressive? Yeah. They don't have any brains. Not that we know of, yeah. So while they're escaping the worm attack, Paul notices some people and he's like, oh, it's I, I can tell they're Fremen or whatever. And for some reason, Kynes is like, nice work. I have a question. Yes. I could never understand through this whole book how you know when someone's a Fremen versus when they've just been eating a lot of spice. Apparently, if you eat a bunch of spice, your eyes turn that, like, complete blue. And the reason that Fremen have the blue eyes is because everything they eat contains spice. The Fremen, they're desert people from Arrakis. And there are also regular non-desert people who just live in the cities. So I guess the reason it's impressive is because it's not just the blue eyes. Like all the Fremen do have the blue eyes, but it's just kind of like a vibe that they give off, that they're so cool and competent and really good at fighting. Yeah. I, I figured they're like the ones who are really good at fighting and living in the desert and surviving and all that stuff. But it also just seems like there's so many people who live with the Fremen who aren't Fremen but seem like they have all the same skills. I don't know. It was confusing to me. Like, is Kynes a Fremen? Kynes, we'll get into it, but he's 
I mean, I'm kind of surprised you're asking because he's literally like their king. <laughs> I mean, but I couldn't tell for a long time. It was a secret. He was keeping it a secret. From Jackie? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he makes it clear later. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so so but like, Duke wait, but Fremen shouldn't be in the service of the imperial court. Like, I feel he, like that's... It's a, it's because the goal of the Fremen, their generational long goal, is to turn Arrakis into a garden planet, mm-hmm. not a desert planet anymore. So that's why he's a planetary ecologist. Like, he's been studying and, like, using their knowledge and their science and spying on them and trying to learn how to play them off against each other. That makes sense. All in the service of this plan. So everybody's got their own plan <laughs> that they're working on. Yeah. So then... The Duke decides to have a really fancy dinner party, and Jessica gives a speech about how she wants to greenify Arrakis, and Kynes is at the party, and he loves it. He's like, that's awesome. And he starts talking to her, and he asks her about the Kwisatz Haderach, which for the Arrakis people, Arrakians, I don't know what Arrakians? For them, it means the shortening of the way, which I guess is like a way to quickly turn the planet into a garden planet. Every time you say garden planet, I just think garden apartment and i'm like yeah i'd rather have a garden apartment than a desert apartment they want it to be like the new jersey of space the garden state yeah wouldn't that be wonderful wouldn't it be wonderful if the whole planet was new jersey yeah we'd all like that gym tanning and laundry baby on arrakis so while they're at the party paul and jessica identify a spy among the guests and he is a guild banker and he kind of seems afraid of kinds and that's how we learn that kinds is actually liette who is you know the kind of like the spiritual leader the messiah he's like this mystical head of the fremen kinds tells the duke there might only be enough water on the planet for us to start the process of greenifying Arrakis. There might not be enough to actually complete it. So then later, a drunk Duncan Idaho, who drunken Idaho, let's call him that. So he shows up <laughs> and he tells Jessica, like, I know you're the betrayer. I think it's you. And she tries to tell him and Hawat, like, no, it's not me. I'm not the betrayer at all. I love this dude. And in doing so, she decides to use the voice with a capital V on Hawat, well, which is like the other funny thing about um, Duncan Idaho getting drunk and accusing Jessica outright of being the traitor is Jessica keeps thinking to herself, he's drunk. He's drunk. But how? How is he drunk? And it's like, what is the mystery behind this? She's like, Could it have been spice liquor? She really wonders it over and over. Yeah, she does. How could this guy possibly be drunk? So naive. So do you, uh, does that make you like him more, Thea? I'm confused. Isn't she supposed to know lots of things? Yeah, she is. Isn't that kind of her thing? Yeah, she she's a very confusing character, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that too. But she's like, in some ways, so incredibly powerful, and in some ways, completely helpless. Yeah. Drunk? What? What? How did that happen? <laughs> okay. So, but the voice, basically, if she uses it on someone, they have to do what she says. But of course, like using the voice on him makes him even more suspicious of her because he's like, why is she doing this? She must be evil. So he knows that she's using the voice on him. Yeah, he knows that she used it. Yeah, I feel like people shouldn't be able to know, but everybody knows as soon as anybody does it. Yeah, so it makes you do what they want, but you still know. (laughs) Yeah. 
because you have to kind of like intone your voice to be something that like fits into like what they want to hear or what they'll listen to. So like if you're trying to make someone do what you want them to do and they are like very manly and powerful, you might have to like drop your voice or, hmm. you know, they, they do different things like that. Wait, and what did she want him to do to stop thinking she was the culprit? Stop being drunk. <laughs> Just, Just like not do anything about it, basically. This makes no sense <laughs> at all. Oh, well. Oh, well. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, she's not the traitor, so she doesn't want him to behave as though she is. But he still thinks it, yeah. Yeah, because of course that's what a traitor would say. Yeah. Yeah, if she's saying, like, stop thinking that, and he's like, okay, I'll stop thinking that, but I am suspicious that you made me stop thinking that. No, <laughs> I think, no, he still thinks it. What? Okay. You didn't really say what she uses the voice to tell him. Do you want me to literally read it? I can find it. Well, not really, but Theo seems confused about it. No, it just doesn't <laughs> he doesn't say stop thinking it. The voice is not that great. Yeah, it sounds stupid and pointless, and frankly, I think it shouldn't be part of the book. <laughs> Actually, you okay. think it's awesome, and it's one of the best parts of the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was pretty good. You should you should say it in a way that would be more appealing to Theo, though. Say it again. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't find that very appealing. Do a different voice. Sing it, maybe. I think uh, actually you, you think it's one of, the, one of the best parts of the book. Let me store voice. Well, actually, it's a, it's a it makes a lot of sense when you stop to think about it. Actually, it makes uh, quite, quite a bit of sense. <laughs> Stephen sounded a lot like Bane right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart as Bane. <laughs> uh, 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 I was born in the darkness by that name. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart was the inspiration for Bane. God. Um, I can't believe I have to leave that in now and everyone is going to hear my terrible Jimmy Stewart impression. But yes. <laughs> wait, so Stephen just tells me that. Mm -hmm. And then I think. Yes, now it is a great part of the book. It's the best part of the book. But, then but I'm also, mad that he But I know that he made yeah. me think that. Yeah, every <laughs> single time they use the voice, they think, be careful. You have to do it so that they're not going to be even more suspicious of you later. It's like when you're playing D&D &D and you're like, well, I have pretty high charisma, so I seduce the dragon. And the DM says, okay, but how do you seduce them? And you say, I just do. I'm just going to roll for it. <laughs> I rolled a 20. <laughs> I like seduced the dragon. We've all been there. <laughs> That's, yeah. I thought you were going to say, and then you say, let me show you. And then you do the whole seduction to the DM. <laughs> yeah. To the DM. <laughs> Pants unbuckle. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but can, okay, at some point, are you allowed to stop? being convinced by the voice? Because it's only temporary? Is it well, like 10 minutes? We don't know, but it never does stop <laughs> in yeah, the book. Yeah, it never stops. Okay, um, whatever. Let's move on. It's usually made for like short-term actions. There's another part where there's like a, a character who's deaf and she wants to use the voice on like the people who are around. She's like, but wait, the deaf one, that'll ruin everything. Mm. And I, I don't understand why, because he's just not going to hear it. <laughs> but she's like, you can't use it around a deaf person or it's going to ruin the entire thing. I guess because that person is immune, but... But why would that ruin it for everyone else? But everyone yeah. else isn't, so yeah. I know like most people just kind of go along with things. Yeah. If everybody else was doing something, I would believe probably. Well, he's really amazing at, at reading lips so he can see what's going on and like tell what's happening, but he just can't hear the voice himself. So, but I don't understand why that's such a problem. Anyway, mm. there's problems with the voice. <laughs> okay. So anyway, 
Later, Leto discovers two dead bodies, including Mapes, the woman that we told you about who gave that wonderful Chris knife to Jessica. So she's dead. Oh, man. And it turns out Dr. Yue has struck, and he, like, turned off the shields surrounding the compound so that they're vulnerable to attack. Oh, Dr. Purple Lips will do it to you every time. I know. <laughs> he subdues the Duke, but he tells him, listen, I've given you a secret tooth full of poison gas <laughs> i took out one of your teeth and i replaced it with a fake tooth. full of poison gas how big is that tooth is it like a like sticking out of his mouth Probably a molar yeah i know but i'm just like imagining that in order to hold enough gas it has to be a huge tooth like not <laughs> inconspicuous at all mm. like a tusk <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i've had some cosmetic work done since you last saw me baron yeah so he's like look when they bring you in front of the baron and they're gonna kidnap and torture you just bite down on your tooth and you can get revenge and kill the baron and yourself but won't that be nice well i mean like why did it have to be a tooth it couldn't it have been like i don't know a fingernail or something like why does it have to be inside of his mouth when it's poison gas a classic classic it's a classic everybody gets it it's the poison tooth special everybody gets it <laughs> Mm-hmm. This book is very into poison. Really? I know. There's a lot of poison. Even more poison coming up. So he says, like, I feel bad about doing this. I'm just doing it to save my wife. So I, I help, I'm I, going to help your wife and son escape. So he takes Leto's ducal ring so that he's, like, he can show it to the wife and son and say, like, look, I'm here to help you, which I don't know why that anybody know. can None take it really from. None makes any sense. Because yeah. he also Doesn't keeps saying, sense. like, I'm pretty sure my wife is dead. I'm almost certain she's dead. But in the event that she's not. I have to try everything to try and find her. Which makes sense. Like, good for you, dude. Doing everything for your wife. That's what I want Steven to do if I were kidnapped by the Baron. Betray his employer. Yeah, put a poison tooth into someone's mouth. So Jessica and Paul are kidnapped by a couple guards. Jessica uses her sexual wiles, and the two guards start fighting over her, and one kills the other. And then Paul kills the remaining guard, and that's the first time he's killed someone. So they take their supplies, and they leave. (laughs) That part was kind of funny because— she uses the voice on them, too, and she's like, yeah, well, if you let my son go, then there's going to be something in it for you. And he goes, you're trying to trick me. And she's like, <laughs> like, he knows it. And he's like, all right. But he just falls for it anyway. Yeah. See, that's how the voice works, Theo. Yeah. Okay. Theo hates the voice. <laughs> I really But do. you love the anti-gravity belts that the, the villain uses. I love those. Yeah. You have no need for those yourself, but. He would like them, though. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. I would love to feel like I'm like 20 pounds. That'd be amazing. Wouldn't that be think great? about yeah. how high you could jump. I mean, honestly, I was thinking about how far, but high would be cool too. <laughs> I think that would be cool. I've been trying this diet to get back to my original weight. Like seven, seven pounds, pounds three ounces. ounces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good guess for me. <laughs> I want to fit into my baptism dress again. That's funny. <laughs> so... We find out that the Baron definitely killed Dr. Yue's wife, and he has the doctor killed, and then Leto bites on his tooth, and he kills everyone, except somehow the Baron escapes without being killed, so darn it. We find out that the that Dr. Yue's wife is dead because Dr. Yue says to the Baron, all right, I, I did what I said. I brought you the Duke. It's time for you to hold up your end of the bargain. And the Baron's like, what's that? And he said, you're supposed to release my wife from her agony and let me join her. And he was like, oh, yeah. I did both of those things. Time to die. Oh, he killed. He already. Killed he had her already a long killed her a long time ago. 
Oh, easy. Easy peasy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so the problem is one of the emperor's soldiers is talking to the baron and he's like, well, let me see Leto's body. Apparently that makes the baron lose face because the emperor doesn't trust him. So whatever. Okay. Who cares? So anyway, Duncan, Idaho, was also helped by Dr. Yue and he he's flying an ornithopter and he saves Jessica and Paul and then he, like, flies off to save any more Atreides men who are left. So, all of a sudden, Paul has become super-duper smart. And he's like, listen, Mom, Dad always trusted you. And then he, like, goes into this genius mode and he he sees thousands of futures. <laughs> this was so annoying to me. Like, the second the Duke dies, Paul just, like... He starts freaking out because he's like, what is happening to my brain? I'm understanding so much. It's uncomfortable. And then Jessica <laughs> becomes a total idiot yeah. in comparison. And the rest of the book is Paul just being like almost perfect at everything. I yeah. was so pissed. So it turns out like because he's been consuming spice in his food, he is able to see literally thousands of potential futures. And he Okay, tells, but Jessica's been eating the spice too. But he's the Kwisatz Haderach and she's not. He's the man mixed with a woman and she's just a freaking woman. God, so stupid. He reveals to Jessica, he's like, you're pregnant with a girl and her name is going to be St. Aaliyah of the Knife. And she's like, what? I never even told you I was pregnant. How do you know you're having a sister? And he's also like, by the way, the Baron, he's your dad and he's my grandpa. <laughs> so he's telling her this. He's like, yeah, it was part of the breeding program. Somebody had sex with him and that's where you came from. And then we find out that Baron Harkonnen, he wants his idiot nephew Robin to rule Dune first and like crack down on everyone and be terrible at it. So that by the time his nephew that he really likes, Fade Rautha, comes in, everyone's going to welcome him like a hero. And that's the end of he book one. He keeps thinking to himself, ooh, how hated he's going to be. Everyone's going to hate him so much. <laughs> yeah, he seriously hates that one nephew. Can I just say, in general, when there are characters in a story who can see the future, but they see a thousand different futures— and they're not sure which one is right. To me, that's the dumbest thing. He sees a lot of possibilities and sometimes he can't see like the end of the path or whatever. But yeah, he sees things that may or may not come to pass, which seems useless. That's just like imagination. Yeah, like I can come up with lots of different ways something could turn out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I could do a thousand. I don't know. If, I guess he doesn't have <laughs> good imagination. <laughs> I'll give him that. <laughs> Maybe you're the Kwisatz Haderach. Yeah. Whoa. Maybe. Wait, so you guys can't do that? You do guys don't have any idea what's going to happen in the future. You just don't predict anything at all. That's just how everyone else lives. Not only do I have no idea, I can't even imagine a single possibility. I'm basically Jessica now. Wow. She's flying blind. This is completely unrelated, but did, did her name being Jessica kind of take you out of it a little bit? Because I know this was written in the 80s, but like me being me and having grown up when I grew up, like I, I literally had like every friend in high school was named Jessica, basically, except for Rachel and Thea. Yeah, you really do have, like, a million Jessica friends. There was a group of them. They called themselves the Jessicas, and they would go out by themselves and just have, like, Jessica night. I'm not kidding. And sometimes oh when gosh. I joined them, it would be the Jessicas and Jackie. So every time I see Jessica in here, I'm like, I'm just imagining, like, an early 2000s, like, teen girl with, like, Abercrombie. Why didn't you start calling them Bene Jessica? The Bene Jessicas. Because I hadn't read Dune yet. But now you have. Don't you think there was one Jessica there who was like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't fit in with these other Jessicas. But. <laughs> I don't feel like a true Jessica. <laughs> Jessica with a K. <laughs> to keep going on these outings. Okay, book two. This 
is coming on the cusp of um, when Paul just immediately becomes really smart all of a sudden. So he tells Jessica, in fact, even though he's got these new powers, he's not the Kwisatz Haderach. He says he's something unexpected. He basically is like, I'm a freak. I'm not really sure what I am. The Bene Gesserit uh, rejuvenation of the human gene pool is going to be a jihad. And he sees that somehow in the future. And he says, that cannot happen. I need to stop that from occurring. He's like, I don't want to be the Kwisatz Haderach. And I'm going to try to stop this plan. Right. He can kind of see the like the ultimate outcome is going to be himself like as this messiah. And people are going to start a holy war over him and he's or in his name. And he's like, I don't want that. Which good for him. Yeah. Good for him avoiding a, a war. <laughs> So they are in the desert, and when you're in the desert, there's all these different kinds of things that you have to do to try and survive. Number one is you need to be extremely careful about how you walk on the sand and what types of sounds that you make, because if you make any type of, like, rhythmic uh, sound, such as, like, just walking, uh, the worms are going to come and eat you. Yeah, so they're attracted to rhythm. That's how they find people to eat is rhythm. So they need to try and hide from their enemies because basically they have been flying in their ornithopter and there was a huge sandstorm and it seems like everybody just thinks that they died. Um, so he's trying to just let everybody think that they're dead. Everything has gone to shit, basically. The Harkonnens, you know, the evil house, like, ruled by the Baron, have brought in all of these different, like, starships from other planets and all of these different fighters to destroy the House of Atreides. And Hawat, who is the the Mentat who works for, um, or used to work for the Duke, who is now dead, realizes that the Harkonnens spent 50 years of Dune's income like in spice on the attack and he was like i underestimated them and their willingness and their desire to destroy the atreides we find out that the fremen whenever any of their party dies they take the body and reclaim its water suck the juices out i thought they were gonna like show the process of this at some point but they never did it's just like the body disappears and then like 20 minutes later they just like have a big bag of water and they're like here's the water he gave us Oh, I was going to tell Theo, there are a couple things I kind of glossed over a little bit. Mm -hmm. The first one is we learn before we get to Dune that the Fremen, they have to wear these things called still suits that mm -hmm. capture any liquid that their body gives out, like any sweat, any spit, whatever, any pee and like recycles it. So they apparently like mm. smell terrible. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they wear these still suits. The idea suits. of the still suits made me so uncomfortable <laughs> because like they describe it as you're basically just wearing I thought of it kind of like a garbage bag basically like yeah it's super hot all the time and you have to wear this like clingy material that traps all of your moisture in it and it recycles it so that um you have like a tube that's just like sitting by your mouth and every once in a while you get to like just sip up some of your like own reclaimed sip, yeah. like salty water some of the moisture yeah. yeah but it's worth it when you get that sweet garden in the end oh yes yeah. so <laughs> yeah worth that it. your grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren won't get to see but yeah <laughs> somebody will keep slurping on that still suit the other thing is that because water is so rare on dune if you want to do someone a very great honor, you spit in their direction. Mm -hmm. So like earlier when they're interacting <laughs> with a Fremen and he's like, I really like you guys. He spits on the table in front of them. And, and everyone him. like draws their knives and are like, let's kill this guy. And they're like, no, no, no. That was that was a compliment. Yeah. Like that's the greatest compliment you can give because you're sacrificing some of your precious liquid. So also if you cry for someone, that's doing them like a serious honor because you're yeah. wasting water on their behalf. But so if you really like someone you spit at them that's so cool 
I knew Theo yeah. would like the spitting. <laughs> Theo wants to be a Fremen. You have to spit all the freaking time if you feel like you want to do people honor. <laughs> okay. And then this is when Hawak gets captured by the Harkonnen. So mm. we realize that the planetologist Kynes and Duncan Idaho um, come and take Paul and Jessica and save them from, you know, having to just wander around in the desert. And we find out that the planetologist Kynes uh, is Liet, who is like the savior of the Fremen. So Paul decides that he is trying to blackmail the emperor. So he pledges his loyalty to Liet, who instantly decides he wants to be loyal back. At first, he kind of talks to him as though he's a child, and everybody says, like, ooh, Paul, the, the child who acts like a man and talks like a man. But he's like, no, I'm the duke now. My dad is dead, so you have to answer to me. And he does. <laughs> so the Sardaukar, who are, like, the, the terrible fighters that are in the service of the emperor. Yeah, so they come and attack. Duncan Idaho is killed. R.I.P. Duncan. Kynes tells Paul and Jessica how to escape. So they run away, and they escaped in, a, in another ornithopter. So the Baron, somebody comes to him and says— don't worry, Paul and Jessica are dead. They're certainly dead. And he's like, mm, if you're saying they're certainly dead, then that's not certain. Um, you haven't seen the bodies. So he tells them to kill the planetologist, um, Kynes, who is also known as Liet, and he makes Hawat start working for him. His nephew that he doesn't like, Rabban? Rabin? Yeah, whatever. Whatever. That Robin. dude. He arrives. And he tells him how to, like, rule over the planet. Paul and Jessica then land the ornithopter, which is promptly eaten by a sandworm. And so <laughs> Jessica is like, oh, no, we're going to land. And then as soon as we touch the sand, the worm's going to come. And Paul corrects her and says, our friends, the worms, are going to come. And they're going to <laughs> clear away all of the evidence. No, no, our friends are going to kill us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say it right. <laughs> Show them respect. <laughs> yeah. So they have to do this kind of weird, like, shuffling walk across the desert because, again, you can't just, like, walk rhythmically or more worms are going to come and eat you. Right. Paul, like, slides down this little sand dune as he's trying to get across, and he causes a sand slide, or Jessica somehow causes a sand slide while she's trying to follow him, and she gets buried under, like, a ton of sand. In all of this chaos, Paul drops the pack that he's carrying that contains, like, all of their water stores and their tent and, like, everything that they could need to survive. Mm -hmm. Anything well, it's not a big deal because, well, that's a big deal. But he thinks it's not a big deal that my mom is buried under all the sand because she's a Bene Gesserit and she's going to like go into like this little controlled coma that they do and she'll just conserve her air until I can find her. <laughs> so he digs her out and then she's like, wow, thanks for saving me. And he's like, it would have been kinder if I hadn't saved you because I now I lost the pack. But then he gets it back. <laughs> he gets it back. But he says, well, all I have is the binoculars so we can get a really good a really good look at the place we're going to die. Gosh. He's such a brat. He's such a brat. He suddenly becomes such a brat. I, this is when I stopped enjoying the book, if I can say that now, because like I thought book one, I was like, I'm actually liking this. Like this is cooler than I thought it was going to be. And then book two gets there and I'm like, I, I just hate this like, guy fuck now. Paul. And also, oh, Jessica is just like so ineffectual. Like he keeps saying like how slow she is, like not just in like movement, but um, her brain, like mentally. Did something happen to uh, Frank Herbert? Like his wife divorced him or something? Yeah. Yeah. Book two. Jessica's an idiot now. All women are bad. <laughs> I miss you, Marie. 
<laughs> something like that. Yeah, that's the that's the title of book two. Too tired to revise book one. So he gets the pack back eventually and uh, digs it out of the sand. We find out that although Duncan Idaho has died and Hawat has been taken by the Harkonnens to be their servant, Gurney, the weapons master poet guy, is still alive and he decides to fall in with some smugglers who also live in the desert and he wants to get revenge on the Harkonnens for killing. He thinks Paul and Jessica are dead and he knows the Duke is dead, so he plans to get revenge for their deaths. Gurney, just like Hawat, also thinks that Jessica is the traitor so he's also planning if he ever does you know he thinks she's dead but if he ever did find her he plans to kill her basically so they're crossing the desert and they finally manage to get all the way across without getting any uh worm attention and once they get across they immediately fall into another pickle because they meet some fremen and the fremen decide that they are going to take paul and jessica and kill jessica but keep paul because they're like, ooh, this guy is like young and he's clearly not from here, but he seems like he's smart and we want to keep him around and like train him in our ways. But like Jessica, just a woman, get rid of her. Yeah. But Jessica manages to get the better of them, use the voice, whatever. Basically, she just shows them that like she's powerful and they threaten Paul and she fights them. She fights them. And says something about the Gamjabar. She guesses based on the language they speak that they will recognize that phrase. And so she Mm -hmm. uses it, and they're like, we do recognize that. They do. Maybe you have something to offer. So they say, we'll take you with us as well if you teach us your fighting style, and they call it the weirding way. Do you like that? And they call her the weirding woman. What does that mean? Why doesn't he ever explain that? The weirding way. The weirding way and the weirding woman. (laughs) I do like that. Teach us how to weird, girl. Now watch me weird. Now watch me weird, weird. (laughs) I love that this is Steven's contribution, like hasn't said anything in 20 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Teach me how to weird weird. There we go. All right. So traveling with them um, is Stilgar, who we had met before. He's one of the Fremen. We also meet Chani, who is the daughter of Pines. I hate to say it, but her name is pronounced Chaney. Chaney? Like Dick Chaney? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So Paul meets Chaney. Um, who is a Fremen girl and she's like a gazelle and she's so graceful and she runs across the rocks and Paul like immediately gets a little crush on her. And also they just both fall in love with each other. It seems like very quickly. And whose child is she? Kynes' daughter, the planetologist. Uh, What's happened to Kynes? He's dead. Yes, he's dead. Is she sad about it? Yeah, she's super sad, but she doesn't cry because that would be wasting water. So Kynes was like released in the desert without a still suit. So he dies and is like hallucinating his dad scolding him the whole time. And then he dies because like a spice, it grows underground. And there's something called a pre-spice mass that explodes because it eventually needs oxygen to continue growing. So he dies in the explosion of spice. And so he had been crawling around in the desert, dying of thirst and exposure. But then when the spice, when the spice explosion happens, it opens up a big hole in the ground. And so he falls into it. And for a second, he thinks, ooh, cool moisture. This feels great. And then it swallows him up. (laughs) And we find out that Stilgar is the brother of Liet. So Stilgar now is like the captain um, because Liet is dead. Stilgar reveals that the Fremen are actually stockpiling spice because they want to bribe the guild 
so that the guild won't let the Harkonnens use spy satellites. And Paul is like, oh, I actually noticed that there aren't any satellites that are like flying around in the sky. And he's like, yep, it's because we're bribing the guild not to let them do that. We also find out that they ride around on the worms. They not only can avoid the worms and like avoid being killed by them, but they Mm. actually ride them. And they refer to the worms as makers. The worms like tunnel into the ground, right? Yeah, they live below the ground. They're really big. How do they ride them? They ride around on them. We don't really quite know how yet, but I kind of think of the worms as like, I mean, I think of the desert as like the ocean and the worms are kind of like these huge like marine creatures that can kind of just like come in and out. Whales. Whales. Yeah, I think that's what I meant to say, whales. <laughs> huge marine that creatures word. that can go in and out. Yeah, whales. Can you imagine something like that? A huge <laughs> marine creature that can go in and out of the water? In and out, you say? I don't think there is one. <laughs> Jackie, that's just such a roundabout description. I mean, I wasn't particularly thinking of whales. It could have been a whale or a shark or squid. Cthulhu. I don't know. It could be anything. Honestly, when you said that, the first thing I thought of was the ichthyosaur. Of course you would think of an ichthyosaur. <laughs> well, got him. Nevertheless. Um, so they're hanging out with the Fremen and they're kind of like learning how to live among them and Jessica is supposed to, I guess, become a reverend mother. Okay, basically, so what happens is there's one of the Fremen that doesn't like them and doesn't believe that they're, like, actually the people that they say that they are, doesn't believe that they have the powers that they say that they do. So he challenges Paul to fight him. He also says that Jessica needs to be tested. So the Fremen who challenges to Paul to fight is named Jameis. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. So he fights Jameis. He wins. Jameis dies. They take Jameis away and reclaim his water. And then they make Paul drink the water. Which kind of makes him a Fremen. Yeah, makes him a Fremen. And then Paul is like, I don't want to drink that guy's water. And it's like, well, you have to do it. That's the custom. They change Paul's name to Usul. Which means? Base of the pillar, which I don't know if that's important. But then um, he also. It's just interesting local color. Yeah, it says, we're going to call you that among ourselves. But you also need another name that we can call you when we're like in public with other people. And he says, I want to be called Muad'Dib, which is um, the name for a mouse that lives in the desert. But it's a very wise mouse. It's very wise. So Jameis has a funeral um, after Paul kills him and they all get to take like one of his belongings for themselves and just say like, oh, Jameis was my friend. I'm going to take this thing to remember him by. And Paul has to do it too, even though Paul kills him. And so he was like uncomfortable about that. So, but he takes um, Jameis's baliset, which is an instrument. He decides to play Chaney a love song. And Jessica is like, why is Paul singing a love song to this? Fremen girl. She's not good enough for him. So she's a little racist about that, even though she's currently relying on the Fremens for all of their survival. Yeah, she looks down on her for being low-born, even though her dad was, like, the king. And they're also much better at everything than they are. Yeah. Paul realizes that Jessica is, in addition to being his mom, also his enemy, (laughs) and that she is going to end up causing the jihad to occur. All right, so now we're back with the Harkonnens. We're almost done with book two. Fade Rautha, who is the preferred nephew of the Baron— is in a gladiator fight. He's in a gladiator fight. He wins. Hawat, who is now working for them, Hawat rigs the fight for him. He rigs the fight for him. Um, there's this couple called the Fenring. So it's Count Fenring and Lady Fenring. And um, they talk about how the Count is a eunuch. He's a genetic eunuch. And he so he can't have kids. So Lady Fenring is supposed to seduce Fade Rautha as part of, like, the Benny Gesserit breeding program. So she's going to, like, bear an heir. And the Count is, like, kind of sulking about it. And she's like, that's just politics, babe. Can't do anything about that. Gotta seduce this 
teenager and bear him a child. Then we switch back to Paul and Jessica. They go back to the Freeman town, which is like the home where they all live. And we find out that because Paul killed Jameis, he now gets all of Jameis's relatives. So he, he <laughs> takes his, <laughs> he does, like he takes his wife and it's like also, what? oh, and these are your kids now too. Like Jameis's kids, now you're responsible for them. And Jameis's wife is your woman. And Paul is able to choose either to take her as a concubine or as like a servant, basically. This part's kind of funny because she keeps saying like, hey, I'm still young. And he's like, "Mm, I'm going to take her as a servant. She's like, what? But I'm young. (laughs) And he's like, we're going to discuss your youth another time. (laughs) He had to kill the guy, right? Because he was being challenged to the death. So it was kill or be killed. But nobody really told him like, you're also going to become the stepdad to multiple kids when you do this. (laughs) Is he disappointed? He just didn't want any of that. I mean, he like doesn't really talk a whole lot about it. He's just like, I don't want this woman or these kids. We also find out that Jameis had won her by killing another man. So she originally had a child with man number one or another child with the second man. And then now she's like, is this what we're going to do too, Paul? Like, are we going to bear another child and then we're just going to raise them all together? And he's like, no, we're not going to have that issue. I'm not having any kids with you. It's servant time. <laughs> it's servant time. And she sulks. She's mad about it. <laughs> yeah. But again, he's like 15, like maybe 16 by this point, And she's got to be in her 30s. Maybe not. Maybe in her 20s. And she's the one who said she's young? She, yeah, she's probably not in her 30s. They, I mean, they have ki- children when they're teens. So she could be like 19 years old. I guess she could You be. can have two kids and not be in your 30s, Jackie. Yeah, but they're kids that are like walking around and fighting and stuff. They're not babies. Yeah. Okay. She could be like maybe 27 it's different on the or planet. something. Maybe yeah. it's different on the planet. Whatever. Maybe they have anti-gravity belts. Does it say when they reach puberty? <laughs> Look up puberty in the glossary. We need to find the definition of that. We're still not sure. Well, it might be different on dude. <laughs> so anyway, so he takes Jameis's wife as a servant and her name is ha- uh, Hera. All right, so Jessica decides, or the Fremens have told her that she needs to be tested to prove that she is who she says she is. So Jessica undergoes this test, basically, and it involves the Reverend Mother of the Fremens coming to her. And the Reverend Mother is like, I'm about to die. I'm going to pour all of my experiences into you. And in order to do this, Jessica drinks poison, which is generated by worms when they drown, which, whoa, weird. Earlier in the book, Paul has to explain to someone on Dune what drowning is because the concept of having so much water that you could die from it is just so foreign to them that they don't understand it. So hearing that a worm, which is so enormous, can drown, that's very crazy. So there is enough water somewhere on Arrakis, on Dune, to to do this. And whenever a worm drowns— Or is it just like one drop of water makes it drown? Because it's not used to it. <laughs> no, there, it has to be a lot of water. My one weakness. <laughs> no, that's a good theory, though, but no. It's a sack full of this poison. Yeah, so it generates the poison when it drowns. Um, so she drinks it, and then if she, basically if she survives the test, then— she becomes the new reverend mother. So, But because she's pregnant and she didn't tell any of the Fremens this, she undergoes this test and the reverend mother pours all of her old like knowledge into her and the, and the knowledge of all of the reverend mothers that she had in the past. And that also goes into the baby. While this test is happening is when 
the Reverend Mother, who's, like, currently dying on the way out, goes, Jessica, you didn't tell us you were pregnant. And then everyone was like, oh, no, this baby's going to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just weird, though. This baby's coming out the weird way. <laughs> so the fetus almost goes insane, but she prevents it. Oh, That's the other insane. thing, which I thought Theo was going to love, is that when she's about to drink this sack of poison, she's like, I'm going to use my Benny Gesserit powers. And she somehow uses her brain powers to chemically change the water so that it's not poisonous anymore. Oh, as soon mm-hmm. as it touches her lips, it spreads throughout the liquid and now it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still powerful drugs, but yeah. That would be fine. perfect for me, you know, with the whole not drinking thing. If I could just look like everybody else, like I'm just drinking something, but as soon as it touches my lips, it turns into just pure water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pure water. <laughs> not like non-alcoholic beer. It just turns into pure a totally drugs. <laughs> pure <Yeah>. non-poisonous drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fetus almost goes insane because apparently um, the fetus, like you're not supposed to have consciousness as a fetus. You're not supposed to like be aware. It's not but allowed. The fetus like <laughs> becomes aware and that's too much for a fetus to handle because it's just a little fetus. Oh. So then everybody else drinks the water from the sack and Paul and Chaney go off together and do the sex. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of book two. Not bad. I hate calling her Chaney. That's so disturbing to me. Call her Chani if you want. Okay. All right. I feel better about that. I wouldn't want to know if I was a fetus. <laughs> if I am, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're just going to, you're not going to know. You're going to be wondering forever if you're a fetus. I'm okay with that. Okay. Rather live in ignorance. Yeah, if I am a fetus, don't tell me. If I'm not a fetus, do tell me. None of us are feti. You're a good friend, Rach. I'm always available to tell people when they're not fetuses. Hey there, listeners. Your three hosts are a little too shy to say this, but there are three (laughs) things that you can do to really help them out. Number one, recommend the podcast to your family and friends. We would love some more listeners. So, uh, you know, go ahead and push that on them like a multi-level marketing scheme. Also check out patreon.com slash fire the cannon where you can become a patron for, for a small fee. There's some bonus content there. Really good stuff. High quality. Also, you can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Become a shill for us. It would really help out. And yeah, now back to the episode. All right, y'all. We're here. The final section. Are you excited? We're, <laughs> we're I feel, I feel like a mad scientist. <laughs> Why? We did an experiment with our podcast. Could we do a 500 slash 800 page book in one episode? We can. Wait, so are you cutting out a lot of stuff or is it just that not much stuff happens and there's just a lot of description or something? We're, I mean, we're basically hitting the points, yeah. Yeah, we're basically hitting everything. Wow. Yeah. A lot of it is just like them thinking to themselves like, wow, what an interesting leader this man is. He sure has a lot of hard decisions to make. Paul is amazing. They also keep saying a lot of the same things over and over. So like each individual character has their own individual realization that (gasps) the Sardaukar are wearing Harkonnen uniforms. Yeah. The Harkonnen are using the Sardaukar. And they just say that many times. I feel like they could have just said it once. Mm. For example, we told you, like, we're like, okay, Duke Leto knows what the Harkonnen's plan is, but the book does it like, okay, there's a whole chapter where Harkonnen lays out his plan. And then in the next chapter, Duke Leto is like, 
look, I know what his plan is. It's this. And then says the plan. He says it again? Yeah, basically. It's wow. like slightly different because he doesn't know everything. But yeah, he basically is like, I figured out his plan. It's blah, blah, blah. And then here's how I'm going to respond. Yeah. And then it like cuts to another character who's like, I don't know about his response. Okay. When book three opens, we learn that two years have passed since the end of book two. So Paul's like 18-ish years old. He's an old man now. He's an adult, finally. He's no longer an average age teen. He's an above average age teen. He's almost aged out of being a teen, in fact. So the Baron is, there's an attempted assassination against him by a slave boy that he was sexually assaulting. So we learn like he is a pedophile, which we'll probably talk about more with Jack, but yeah, he's got a lot of problems. I will say this much. It is gross that everyone else in the book that we know anything about is straight, Mm -hmm. except you have this one guy who is a pedophile who's, but he's also interested in adult men. So like, I was thinking the same thing. I feel like pedophilia happens all over the book, but like this one is gross because it's also gay. Like, is that why like the villain does it? It is complicated because for example, Jessica was like raised in a school of Benny Gesserit and was purchased by the Duke when she was a girl. But I, I mean, I guess he would have also been young. They seem like they were about the same age. Yeah, they don't get into it. But there's definitely like the system. It's definitely sexist. There's all kinds of weird stuff with kids. You have teens having kids. It's just complicated. But it is definitely not great that they make like the one guy who the one man who's also interested in men is also interested in boys and he's super fat and everyone else is like fit and straight I guess is what I'm trying to say I I mean I thought about like what would it have been like if instead of him being interested in boys and men it had been like bring me that young girl from you know he says like you know bring me that that cute boy with the nice eyes like you know the one I'm gonna you know bring him in I was trying to think like you know what if it had been a girl instead. I feel like it wouldn't have stood out in that way. Okay. The thing about in real life, is it like pedophiles, it doesn't have anything to do with like being gay or straight. It's yeah. all about having power over people who yeah. are powerless. No, I wasn't defending the choice. Right. I was saying it's a weird choice because yeah. if it had been the other way around, like I feel like he did that on purpose just to make it more upsetting, which doesn't make any sense. To be like, ooh, isn't even more gross? Right. He likes penises. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was written in the 60s. So that's why there's all the, like their drugs all over the place because, you know, he was definitely part of that subculture. Mm -hmm. But it's complicated. I'm interested to see how they handle the Baron's character in the new movie because I know in the one in the 80s, I think they didn't have the guy who played him be super fat or anything. So I'm just kind of wondering if they're going to do the same thing Mm. or what, like, are they going to change anything about it? Because a lot of the book, how it portrays the villain, it's got some problems. It's like how they always like so many kids movies portray villains as, you know, disfigured Captain Hook. And then Scar has a facial disfigurement. And then you just, it's just very common. Oh, yeah. I was actually saying something different. I was thinking, like, I feel like also with Scar and then with a lot of the Disney villains, too, like, they're they're effeminate in some way. Or... Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a long tradition of gay villains and then just, like, physically disfigured villains. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. and this book has that as well. Yeah. They could solve a lot of it by showing us, like, oh, you know, some of the Benny Gesserit are lesbians or the Fremen are, you know, some of them are gay or whatever. But just throwing in a few things to be, like, it's not just this guy who's... It's just that one 
one guy. It's not like here's one deviant and everyone else is awesome. I mean, unrelated to that, but I mean, pretty much the whole time I'm imagining him just as Jabba the Hutt. I'm probably mm-hmm. not supposed to, right? Because this didn't, <laughs> like, you know, Jabba the, the Hutt didn't yeah. exist. <laughs> right, right. But he's like always eating and like he's so fat that he can't even like walk around without having this like anti-gravity technology. It's like, huh. I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a grotesque figure. One could argue maybe he doesn't need to be. Do you know Jabba the Hutt had a son? Jabba the Hutt Jr.? His name was Rada the Hutlet, also known as Stinky. Stinky. Stinky the Hutt. Oh, the Hutlet. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a little chicken cutlet. He was pretty cute, actually. (laughs) You you gotta look him up. Maybe we'll put a picture of him on our Instagram or something. Did Jabba the Hutt have a dad? No, that was his problem. He didn't have a father figure. Zorba the Hutt was Jabba's father. <laughs> Steven's comment was underrated. That was good. What, is what did he say? He said that's the problem. He didn't have a father figure. Jabba? <laughs> yeah, he needed like a yeah. strong male presence in his life. Yeah. yeah, that's why he became some sort of amorphous blob. <laughs> like you look at the rest of his family and they just look like normal people and then you have Jabba. And it's like, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He needed a big, big brother hut program. <laughs> big brother the hut. Big Hut. hut brothers, hut sisters of America. I feel like you're kind of hut shaming at this point. Oh, <laughs> I know I'm hut phobic. That now that's a joke that was okay, but definitely sounds like it should have been on like a conservative talk radio show. <laughs> hut shaming was great though. So anyway, so the Baron thinks, oh no, I, or he's like, I know my beloved nephew Fade Rautha has planned for this slave boy to try to kill me, and he talks. Now to him there's and he's also like, a little bit of like incest too because he calls him like such a lovely boy. Yeah, it's gross. It's really gross. It's gross. He also shows like an interest in Paul as well at one point. But anyway, so he's like, listen up, Fade Rautha. Just relax. I've already said you're going to take over once I die, so just chill out. And <laughs> Anyway, so Fade Routh is like, oh my gosh, I've realized that Hawat has actually been pitting me and my uncle against each other, but I'm just going to kind of wait this out and see what happens. Hawat explains to Baron Harkonnen his theories about how about the Sardaukar, which Leto had talked about earlier, which is that they are actually not highly trained troops. They're people from a planet called Seleucus Secundus, which is like just a very difficult, inhospitable environment. And that just kind it's of a prison growing planet. up. Yeah, it's a prison planet. And that it's basically Australia. Yeah, it's like Australia. So he's like, look, that's what makes him so tough is just growing up here. And he tells him, tell your hated nephew, Robin, to oppress everyone on Dune even more because that'll make them even better fighters. And he also says, I think the reason the emperor wanted to kill Leto Atreides is because he had some really good soldiers who were almost as good as the Sardaukar and he was jealous, basically. Or worried. So anyway, we cut back to Paul and Paul is about to ride a worm for the very first time. Isn't that so cute? Apparently (laughs) that's the last test to becoming a full Fremen. Um, Riding a worm. Right. <laughs> Do you think that's a euphemism for the Fremen? Be like, whoo, I've been riding the worm a lot these days. Something like that. Mm. It has to be a masturbation thing. And Paul is confused. Yeah. He doesn't know what's about to happen to him. He's like, am I going to masturbate in front of everyone or am I going to ride a worm? Oh, he thinks it's the <laughs> masturbating one. Yeah. And, and he's, he's like, just, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say, all right, now's the time. You're going to become a full like member of the tribe. Like now's the time from your entrance, like from, you know, childhood into manhood. And he's like, 
okay, like this? And they're like, what are you doing? Whoa, gross, put that away. <laughs> you need to go out to the desert and call the biggest worm you can find and literally get on top of it. Well, this would have been a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Like, dang, well, I preferred my interpretation, but sure. <laughs> oh, it also turns out that in the two years we've been gone, Paul and Chaney had a baby, and its name is Lato 2. <laughs> Isn't that great? Do I have to care about this baby? No, it's gonna no. die. Soon. <laughs> Is it like the like the number two? I mean, I I. Oh, Lato okay. I I. Lato the second, I think, is how we would normally say it. <laughs> Not Lato two. It's just like Lato two, like <laughs> the sequel. Latoer. Baby that's named after somebody, not your second ice cream shop you've opened. I mean, kind of. (laughs) We learned that everyone in the town hates Aaliyah because she's just a fucking freak. She's a huge freak. She's just like an adult, but she's a little baby. She's two years old. And she can talk perfectly. She can walk around. And everyone's like, we really hate this girl. And they tell Jessica, like, we all hate her. And then Paul's servant who could have been his wife is like let me put in a good word for this weird baby yeah everybody thinks she's a demon because she's two years old and she looks like a two-year-old but she talks like an adult and understands things like an adult and you know the reason for this is because when she was in jessica's womb she was exposed to becoming the reverend mother stuff the history of humanity and all the past of the benny jesserit and the reverend mothers and all this yeah but also they say like it's that but it's also that her consciousness just began early and it's like okay i mean it began like maybe a year early yeah. she's not an adult now because of that like there's got to be something else going she on she would be like a three-year-old oh no it's this freak that acts like a three-year-old but she's yeah. only two <laughs> frank herbert was influenced by Jungian theories which you know by now are like totally discredited but in the 60s everyone was all about them so there's a lot of that everybody was about Jungian archetypes yeah yeah all right also, Paul has, like, a, a group of super soldiers called the Fidekin. They're, like, the best of all the Fremen fighters. So, anyway, so people are telling Jessica, you need to look out because there's some Fremen who want Paul to challenge Stilgar for supremacy after the worm ride. <laughs> I guess, I mean, there's nothing she can do about that. <laughs> after the worm ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're going out into the desert, Paul and Stilgar, and they're talking together about the challenge that some Fremen want Paul to put forth. And Paul sees some smugglers and he decides to teach them a lesson about going into the Fremen territory. But it turns out that Gurney Halleck was leading the smugglers, and he immediately is like, fuck these guys, I'm joining Paul. Some of the smugglers were secret <laughs> Sardaukar, but they fight and they defeat them. <laughs> yeah, the, so they fight them, and then Gurney realizes that Paul is the one who's leading the opposition, and he's like, wait a second, hold on, stop fighting, these are our friends. And one of his men goes, fine friends they are, they just murdered half of us. <laughs> he's like, it was a mistake, don't make it worse. <laughs> People just forgive mistakes pretty easily in this world. Yeah. Oops. It's kind of like with, they're like Star Wars stormtroopers. Kind of, you can kill however many of them you want. It doesn't really matter. He killed half of our group. It was a mistake. Yeah. Chill out. Get over it, weirdo. Why are you so obsessed with him? (laughs) You're still holding on to that. Yeah. Come on. That was like five minutes (laughs) ago. It just happened. Yeah, that one, he holds a grudge. <laughs> He's like, we're going to let some of the Sardaukar escape because we want them to tell the Baron and the Emperor about what good fighters we are. So he does. And he he decides, like, you know what? Stilgar and I, we really like each other, so I'm not going to challenge him. Which, like, why did it take him so long to realize that? He should have, as soon as he thought someone wanted him to kill his friend, he should have said, 
no thank you. Yeah. Like this guy who saved my family and like trained me for two years. Yeah. Why did he need to think about that? I mean, he's always <laughs> thinking politically, right? Like, okay, well, I don't want to have to kill this person, but if that's what custom requires and if that's what's going to, you know, keep us on our ultimate path toward this goal, then I'm going to have to kill him. So, I mean, they do stuff like that. But then he's like, nah, customs change. They decide together. They're like, here's the new plan. We're going to make the Fremen accept Paul as the Duke of of Arrakis and not the Usul. And that will still be Stilgar because Stilgar is so useful that if he is still uh, a leader among the Fremen, he can help Paul. So Paul is kind of saying, I'm going to be more like this political leader and, you know, he's going to be this guy in charge in this other sphere and we can both work together. Yeah. So he decides to take on more of like the royal mantle rather than like the leader of the Fremen mantle. Yeah. Like a planetary role. And so we find out Gurney Halleck still thought that Jessica had betrayed her, what do you call the the dude of a concubine? Not her husband. She just calls him her duke. Concubore. Concubore. I don't know what you call the person who has the concubine. There has to be a word, right? Like, what would a concubine call the, the guy? Concubator. My concubator. <laughs> <laughs> he still thinks that Jessica killed her concubator. And she didn't, <laughs> as we know. But so anyway, Paul tells the people, hey, I want to be your spiritual leader and Stilgar is going to be your secu- sexual. He's going to be your secular leader. <laughs> so I rode the worm and I decided that Stilgar is going to be your sexual leader. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it in me. <laughs> okay, so the Fremen are like, nice. We are going to accept you as the Duke of the Planet. And we think that Rabin has been abandoned by the Harkonnens. So we're gonna, we would like to fight him. And so anyway, Halleck tries to kill Jessica, but Paul is like, no, 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 she's cool. She didn't betray my dad. And Halleck is so upset about it. He's like, can you please kill me? Like, seriously, just kill me. I'm so embarrassed by this mistake. Paul's (laughs) like, no, I'm not gonna kill you. So he says, well, Jessica, how about you kill me? And he goes through the whole village and he's like, how about you? Will you kill me? What about you? Will you kill me? Nobody will kill him. (laughs) Nobody will kill him. Um, But yeah, I mean, Paul convinces him. He just says, you're wrong. She's not the traitor. It was Dr. UA. And Gurney is like, well, where's the proof? And he says, well, the proof is off somewhere else i don't have it here and he's like well you're trying to trick me and he's like just believe me bro and he's like all right okay will you kill me he's like please kill me i'm sorry (laughs) it's absurd so anyway paul goes off by himself to drink the spice drug that jessica drank two years ago and he goes in a trance for multiple weeks so cheney and jessica are really worried about him but it turns out paul was able to make it non-poisonous by himself so he wakes up zero transition for this by the way like it just goes from like paul is fine to like next chapter it's like paul's been in a coma for three weeks what happened (laughs) this book constantly made me think that my reading comprehension skills were poor but i don't think it's my fault no so anyway so he wakes up and he says to jessica like show me the place where you cannot enter which every reverend mother has and then he talks about how he's like i'm the only one who can balance the force that gives, which is women, with the force that takes, which is men. And he's like, I'm the only one who can balance these forces. So like the dark side and the light side of the force. Yeah. He's the he's the Kwisatz Haderach, basically. I mean, are we talking like, what, what does he mean by giving and taking? Is this a sex thing? So that's just how it is. It's just yeah. weird. Just weird. So then he says... 
oh, I've realized in my trance that there's a huge fleet of ships in space that are ready to attack Arrakis. He tells everyone and they're like, we have a plan. The plan is we're going to wait for a sandstorm to arrive. Then we're going to use atomic weapons to break the shield walls around the strongholds. Then we're going to explode the noses of the spaceships so that they can't leave the planet. Then the Fremen will attack the Sardaukar and then the people of Arrakis will attack the Emperor's forces. And that's the plan. Pretty simple. It's pretty wild that they have atomic bombs, but supposedly no computers. Yep. They chose not to have computers. But it seems like they really wouldn't be able to build atomic bombs without computers. They have Mentots. They have three O's. <laughs> seems like a loophole. Does any but- old calculator <laughs> count as a... As a computer? Like if they just had like a Texas Instruments. TI-84. You know, yeah. Would, would that count? That's probably fine because that's not artificial intelligence. Isn't it? I don't think so. Oh, man. We could get into a whole thing. Also, Rachel and I still have to write our artificial intelligence oh, novel yeah, that we shoot. planned. Okay. Let's not tell the audience because they might steal it. You've already said too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They know we've planned one. It's a great idea. Yeah. Nobody's ever thought of it before. <laughs> a novel about artificial intelligence. <laughs> So, while they're enacting the plan, Paul learns that his town was attacked and Leto 2 was killed. So, time to move on to Leto 3. Yeah, but his not-wife, Chaney, is, like, sad and crying about the loss of her son, and he comforts her by saying, he can't be replaced, but there will be more sons. Like, (laughs) technically he can't be replaced, but we will replace him, and we'll name the kid the same thing. Like, he is irreplaceable, but there also are going to be more of him, so don't worry. Yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) Like, he was only a year old. It's not like he really had a personality. That's what he's saying. So, Chaney and Jessica are totally fine because they were hiding out somewhere else. A place that they thought would actually be more dangerous, but it was much less dangerous. So, the Emperor has Aaliyah, and he's mad because most of his Sardaukar were killed by the villagers. And he's like, they're just a bunch of old people. They didn't even have their soldiers, and they were still able to kill most of my greatest men? This sucks. And the Reverend Mother Mohiam, who we met before, the one who administered the test to Paul at first, she's there. She's the Emperor's truthsayer. And she sees Aaliyah, and she's like, oh my gosh, that is an abomination. Yeah, she wants them to kill Aaliyah right away. But at this point, the Fremen strike. And Aaliyah kills the Baron with her own Gamjabar and is like, by the way, I'm your granddaughter. And then she runs off. Mm. And Paul and all of his dudes ride up on a bunch of worms and they easily defeat the Sardaukar. (laughs) And we're basically, we're at the end now. So Paul, he finally accepts that he's the Kwisatz Haderach and he starts, like, he wants to negotiate with the Emperor. He sees Hawat and he's like, I want to talk to him. Because if you remember, Hawa is his father's former mentor who's working for Harkonnen. So he's like, come on over here, let's talk. And it turns out the Baron had been gradually poisoning him and he was about to die. And he was like, you need to poison Paul or else I'm going to kill you. Like, you'll die from the poison. But if you kill Paul, I'll give you the antidote. But Hawat refuses to kill Paul. And there's a nice little moment where he dies in Paul's arms. So that didn't work out. So then the Emperor tells the Lansrat to attack which is, you know, the organization of all the noble families. But the guild tells them, no, you are not allowed to attack. So they leave. (laughs) Because it turns out that Paul was threatening the guild's spice supply. He was saying, you need to make them leave 
or else you're not getting any more spice ever again. So they have to obey Paul. So it all worked out. So then Paul tells the Reverend Mother, I am not going to obey the Benny Jesuit. Like, I know what you want me to do, and I'm not going to do it, because you guys don't realize that your actions are leading you towards jihad. So he is able to see even more steps ahead than this organization of super intelligent women who've been working for thousands right, of like years. Like, this doesn't make any sense. What what does he have that they don't have? Peen. Classic. Yep. So then Fade Routha challenges Paul to a duel. And of course he cheats, as he always does, but Paul still wins and kills him. So then the emperor, he's like pulling out all his stops. So then he wants Count Fenring the guy from before whose wife was going to have sex with Fade Rautha. So he wants Fenring to kill Paul. And Paul realizes, oh my gosh, Count Fenring, he was almost a Kwisatz Haderach. Oh my gosh. Just like me. Well, it turns out that apparently the Kwisatz Haderach has to have two functioning testicles. But, you know, he was close. He was real close. Yeah, but almost. He was. He would have been doing what I'm doing. But so Count Fenring refuses to kill Paul. So that's it. The emperor has no more cards to play. So Paul is like, you have to step down and you have to let me marry your daughter, the Princess Irulan, and I will be the emperor of the universe. Good deal, right? That sounds like a good fair trade. You cool with that? <laughs> yeah, his desert wife negotiates the marriage. <laughs> and I don't—why does the emperor agree to if this? If you I say mean, no, I'm going to kill you. So you probably want to say yes. I guess. This happens, so the emperor's <laughs> like, whatever. Okay, fine, you can marry my daughter. And she's, like, very beautiful, and they discuss, like— She's beautiful in, like, a very noble fashion, and she looks very cold, and also she has a reputation for being a nerd. Like, she loves learning and writing books and everything. She's a scholar. The book ends in just, like, this is a truly a nutso ending, I have to say. Like, I don't even know how else to describe it. No, it's completely insane. So, it ends basically with Jessica just shitting all over Princess Irulan for no reason. Why would you end the book so this way? So Paul and Jessica are comforting Chaney because, you know, Paul's about to marry someone else. And they say, no, listen, you are Paul's true wife. Irulan, who we don't know anything about at all, sucks. We hate her. She's going to be a lonely nerd forever. She, can't sit with she us. will never know a single kind word or gesture <laughs> from her husband. History and, will forget her. And she's the one who's been like writing all of these little excerpts at the beginning of the chapters about Paul. So here's the quote, basically. I'm going to kind of read a little bit. So he's Paul's kind of dishing out rewards. So Jessica kind of she wants to go back to Caladan, the planet they started on. And she looks at Cheney and says, and what for the royal concubine? And she says, no title for me, nothing. And Paul says, I swear to you, you'll need no title. That woman over there will be my wife and you but a concubine, because this is a political thing and we must weld peace out of this moment. We must obey the forms. Yet that princess shall have no more of me than my name, no child of mine, nor touch, nor softness of glance, nor instant of desire. So say you now, Cheney said. So then the ending of the book is Jessica talking. And Jessica says, do you know so little of my son? See that princess standing there so haughty and confident. They say she has pretensions of a literary nature. Let us hope she finds solace in such things. She'll have little else. A bitter laugh escaped Jessica. Think on it, Cheney. That princess will have the name, yet she'll live as less than a concubine, never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound. While we, Cheney, we who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives. End of book. That's the end of the book. What does it mean? 
a woman saying it's better to be a concubine whose dude loves you than a wife whose husband doesn't love you. That's the end. It's also basically her saying, after all of the powers and the skills and the accomplishments that I've had throughout this book, like me as Jessica and Chaney as like, you know, a powerful Fremen woman who's good at what she does. At the end of history, guess what? We're going to get the best prize of all. We're going to be remembered as that guy's wife. Apparently, that's the best possible thing for history to remember you as. But why does that have to be the final thing? Yeah, I know. Like, what a terrible, like, (laughs) why would you end on that line? Why would you end on that scene? Like, I get why the scene is there, (laughs) but you should do something else. Like, that's such a terrible spot to end. Definitely, it seems almost like Frank Herbert at this point was like, you know what? I'm 800 pages in. Like, I'm so tired of this. I just want to get this over with. Like... Sure, this is the ending. Yeah, just publish it. Let's just type the end. (laughs) It really feels like they left something off, right? I know. Why would you end on Jessica saying, you know, in the history books, we'll be considered the wives of these guys? What would you end it with? Something else. A parade. Like him ascending the throne, probably. Oh, yeah. But also, like, Princess Irulan hasn't done a damn thing. She has not done anything to deserve them being so mean right like she writes a ton about him she's teaching everyone about his life and what he did yeah it's clear that she was obsessed with paul so i feel so bad for her but yeah anyway there's five more books and i kind of know what happens to most of these characters if you're curious i'll give you one spoiler paul has a son who sort of becomes a worm and then he's an emperor for like 3,000 years. Well, that's that's quite a spoiler, Rachel. He like merges with a worm. <laughs> yeah, and then marries his sister, but he's a worm <laughs> man, so they don't have oh. kids. But she has a male concubine that she does have kids with. That's the book I want. Whew. All right, everyone. We probably shouldn't tell people if we want to fire this or not, right? We should save that for the Jack Morgan app. Yeah, Jack. so Jack Morgan is an old friend slash acquaintance of ours don't don't call him a friend slash acquaintance what does that mean <laughs> well you guys i mean he's my friend but you guys don't really know him what do you mean we don't know him? we do know friend him. and stranger i know friend him what are you stranger. talking about <laughs> just call him an old friend an old friend of the pod you can just say an old friend of mine. <laughs> and Theo will say, not mine. Theo yeah. said he didn't know him from... History will remember me as a friend of Jack Morgan. <laughs> no matter what I accomplish, I want to be. I want it to be known that I've been a friend of Jack Morgan. So he's coming on to talk about this. I am bugging my eyes out right at now at the idea of this being one of his favorite books. To be fair, I don't... I don't know if it is one of his favorite books. He did say that he wanted to talk about it, but maybe there's just interesting things he wants to say. So we'll see. Yeah. It's going to be a, a great episode. And this one also, I assume, was a great episode. So I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm really excited for getting into the juice because there are so many times where I was like, I've got to slurp that book juice right up. But I had to stop myself because I'm like, no, I'm saving that for Jack Morgan. I know there were so many times that I was like, I really want to talk about this. Oh, yeah. You literally were like putting a hand over your mouth to keep that juice in <laughs> to stop you. Boring things Don't only. you dare say anything <laughs> juicy. But anyway, I'm really excited about it, and I'm amazed with what we've done. Perhaps we are the the wise mice of the podcasting world, the Muad'Dib. All right, so here's one thing I did want to say, everyone. We would love it if you checked out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash canon. 
We are so excited about a couple things we have in the pipeline. We've got all the stickers. We've been hearing from different patrons that they've gotten stickers. Uh, Emma came over yesterday. She got a sticker. She gave one to her mom. Amanda Jane's loving her sticker. Steven is working on two things for us right now, artistically speaking. He is making a Welcome to Crotchtown sticker, which you will get if you're a patron because it's in one of our upcoming bonus episodes. And he's also working on a design for a We Love Love in All of Its Forms t-shirt. But if you want to know about Crotchtown, you have to become a patron. Yes. Otherwise, that sticker is meaningless to you. Exactly. Which I believe, Theo, didn't you say it's one of our funniest episodes? I agree It's with pretty that. good, and I think you'll love it. We also have, I mean, at this point, honestly, we have hours of bonus content, right? And we have some, I made some cocktails based on different books that we've read, and I put the recipes up. We've got all kinds of things, and we would love for you to join us. We use all of the money. At this point, we use it all for promotion, paying hosting fees for the podcast, all sorts of things. I mean, it's all going back into the podcast at this point. So we would really appreciate it if you wanted to check us out. We also just as much appreciate you leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we also appreciate you recommending us to your friends because that is how people, that's how they really know that they should listen to a podcast. If you would like to connect with us in other locations, that was a weird way to phrase it, but we have a Twitter and an Instagram at firethecanonpod. We also have a Facebook group, which is Fire the Cannon Podcast, and we'll be posting instructions for how to join our 1980s Dune watch party on the Facebook group. If you want to email us, we're at firethecannonpodcast at gmail.com. So anyway, you got a lot of options. Thanks for tuning in and come back next week or else we will poke you with a gomja bar. It's a strong threat. Thank you. So let's, for a sign off this week, perhaps we should say history will call us podcasters. All right. Three, two, history one. History will call us podcasters. podcasters.